Welcome to the intro. My name is Pedro, aka Pete, and uh, this is my movie podcast. It's called Pedro's Movie Cavern. And like I said, I am Pedro, aka Pete, and I am a film reviewer, a film writer, I guess. I've written three screenplays in my life. Um, but I just love movies and. I used to do podcasts ages ago and decided I really wanted to get back into it. Only the problem is I've got no one to do it with because no one I know who I've... Well, I say no one I know. I know a lot of people who are into movies. I've just sat here by myself. I thought maybe I could do it like uh, Bill Burr does where he just sits in front of a, uh, a microphone and just talks. But I, obviously I'm not Bill Burr. So I've got to try and come up with some ideas for a podcast. Now, originally I had the idea of doing a a retrospective over Richard Donner, uh, who sadly passed away on July the 5th. And uh, he's a director well-known for um, some fantastic films from The Omen, Superman the Movie, um, what else was there, Lady Hawk, The Goonies, Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, Maverick, and... Um, his last movie was the Bruce Willis action film uh, 16 Blocks now that was the plan I even have pages and notes but I started recording it and it just sounded awful so I decided to stop doing that and um, it sounded very very scripted and I don't like doing scripted stuff uh, podcast wise I just like to go with the flow so I decided that I am just going to I'm just going to scuff this. I'm going to talk, and it's probably going to be bollocks, but it's it's basically me. Um, I haven't got a podcast studio. I'm wearing a headset. This is being recorded on my phone using um, the Anchor app, which is owned by Spotify, which is actually a pretty good app so far. I'm still learning how to use it, like I said. This is only the first episode of uh, Pedro's Movie Cavern. Um, if anyone else has Anchor and wants to get in touch, uh, maybe become a guest or something, there is a way of me um, doing a two-way podcast. Uh, or I can interview people. It, 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 we'll have to see how it goes. Like I said, this is the first one. There's also an option on Anchor to leave me voice messages so you could leave me questions or you could leave me um, just, a, just a little hello or, or something. It's Like I said, it's entirely up to you. All the links are going to be on... Um, where's, well, all the links are going to be via my Anchor page. And this uh, podcast will be available on Spotify under Pedro's Movie Cavern. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy listening to me talk bollocks for the next hour or so. <clears throat> so uh, let's get cracking with the knacking, as they say. Uh, so, movies. What are we going to talk about movie-wise? Well, The Tomorrow War came out, starring Chris Pratt. And I absolutely loved that movie. That movie was everything I wanted from an original screenplay in 2021. It's a sci-fi action adventure movie. It's a bit long. It's like two and a half hours long. But the pacing I found to be very good. And it never, for me, it never seemed to drag. Um, 
the action was fantastic. It was very well handled, and uh, it did, however, take a lot of inspiration from other movies. While watching it, I was just like, that's Starship Troopers, that's Battle Los Angeles, that is John Carpenter's The Thing. Just uh, There was a lot of uh, familiarity to it, which... I don't know whether or not they were homages or whether or not... Um... Well, I don't know. All I know is that I thoroughly enjoyed the two and a half hours that I spent watching Chris Pratt shoot aliens in the face. The time travel aspect uh, is is quite well um, explained. It's not convoluted or anything. They say that time is like a river and it keeps flowing, so you can't jump back you can't jump forward to one point and jump back further than the point that you jumped because time is a constant flow so if you jumped into the future and then jumped back you would be say you couldn't jump 10 minutes into the past well i said 10 minutes prior to the point that you jumped because you can't go back on a on a flowing current um, but no, I, I mean it was. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm also not the greatest screenwriter in the world. I'm a, I'm okay. I've, like I said, I've only written three films, but uh, I thought it was well explained. I thought it was, <clears throat> it got the point over quite well without dumbing it down or being overly complicated. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I thought the action was well handled. Uh, Chris Mackey's more primarily known for uh, animation. He directed the, um, I think it was Lego Batman movie, and uh, he this is his first live action directorial movie, and he did a really good job. I thought he did a really good job. Um, the film, unfortunately, is getting slated by critics because uh, they all seem to hate Chris Pratt. I don't understand why. I love Chris Pratt. I loved him in um, Parks and Recreation as Andy Dwyer and ever since then I'll pretty much watch anything he's in I don't care about his politics I don't care about whether or not he's Christian as long as he makes movies that entertain me and don't preach then I have literally no issue with a man having uh, a political side and a a religious side as long as it doesn't infiltrate the movies and that doesn't seem to well that seems to does not seem to be the case with Pratt he just makes entertaining films so I don't understand why in 2021 we need to um, say films are terrible based solely on the fact that you don't agree with an actor's political leanings. But it has a pretty good cast. It has a Chris Pratt, like I said. It has J.K. Simmons. Ivan uh, Strahovski from... Uh, I know her as Sarah Walker from Chuck. I know a lot of people know her as uh, some character from The Handmaid's Tale. I haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale, so I can't really comment on that. But she's pretty good in it. Um, I think someone who was in it that was underused and should have been used more was Betty Gilpin, who is absolutely fantastic in uh, The Hunt and in uh, Glow, the Netflix show about the female wrestlers. Uh, who else is in it? Oh, God, I'm trying to think who else is in it. Um, Sam Richardson, he's basically the comic relief in it, um, but he's pretty good. And uh, Jasmine... I think her name's Jasmine Walker. 
Um, she, I first saw her in The Rookie, the Nathan Fillion TV show. She plays one of the leaders of the, um, the army sent back 30 years from the future to recruit soldiers from the past to fight this alien uh, menace that is attacking, well, that is basically wiped, wiped out the majority of the Earth's population. There's only like something like 500,000 people left on the planet. But no, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I know I said it was uh, an original script, and I also did say that it takes a lot of um, influences and stuff from other more well-known movies, but I quite like that. I like it when Tarantino does it. Um, even though I think with The Tomorrow World, The Tomorrow World, The Tomorrow War, it seems more blatant than like subtle, whereas Tarantino will make, like in Kill Bill, there'll be a shot but it'll be a shot that's kind of reminiscent of a certain director's directorial style. Whereas there's a scene towards the end of The Tomorrow War which looks like it was ripped straight from John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you've seen The Thing, you'll, you'll be able to compare both because it does seem like that was the case with it but other than that it's a mixture of sci-fi action thrills it's got a great score what else is there um like i said the action is pretty good the performances are actually pretty good chris pratt isn't actually isn't playing the comic relief guy this time he's playing more the straight guy he plays an ex-soldier now a biology teacher um who is recruited to fight in this future war and finds out that he is the last hope for mankind uh, watch the film like i said um you'll understand what i mean so it's like save the future to save the past sort of thing <clears throat> i'm not going to do full reviews on these movies but i i, I gotta say for a 200 million dollar studio sci-fi movie to come out in 2021 that isn't a marvel movie or a dc movie or fast and the furious movie uh it's got to say something that somebody somewhere is thinking about original movies i mean this got sold for by paramount to um i think it was paramount paramount sold it to amazon apparently for 200 million um Amazon released it on Prime Video, so if you've got a Prime account, you can watch it free. Uh, and yeah, it's it, it for me though. I felt watching it at home kind of took away the uh, the scope of the film because it is it seems like a movie that deserves to be seen on a massive theater screen. But I mean, I've got a forty-inch television, forty-inch full HD TV. Uh, because it's the only one that I could fit in my room. Otherwise, if I could, I would have had a bigger television. But the space on my wall where it's mounted wouldn't have fitted a bigger telly. But um, I watched it on that. And uh, I mean, it looked good. I watched it. No problems. But yes, it would have been better to see it at a cinema. But obviously with COVID and um, restrictions and stuff like that, it, like the cinema's... At the moment, I wouldn't feel safe sitting in a room 
with a bunch of other people watching a movie. Um, I know that's a lot of other people are just like, yes, I'm going to the cinema. I must go to the cinema. I must go and see this film. I must go and see that film. And um, for me, it's a little bit off-putting. I'm fully vaccinated. Um, I would prefer still, though, not to sit in a room with people until we know, especially now, which apparently we are coming into a third wave of uh, the coronavirus. Um, I'd rather just watch them at home. I've like Black Widow's just come out on uh, Disney Plus, but that's on Disney Plus Premiere Access, and that's twenty quid to watch that film at home. Um, it'll be on Disney Plus regular within a couple of months anyway. So, like what happened with Mulan, they put that on Premiere Access, and then like a month and a half later, it was just part of the the programming on Disney Plus. But I'll wait for that to do that because I'm not in a hurry to see Black Widow. Even though I've heard it's had some decent reviews. But um, the Tomorrow War was something I'd been following for a while. Uh, there wasn't much promotion at all prior to like the the month leading up to its release on the 2nd of July. I think it was the 2nd of July. Um, there was a couple of photos, uh, black and white photo of Chris Pratt and a load of soldiers just standing in the street and stuff. But... There was it was barely any promotion and it was like a couple of maybe two or three weeks before its actual release they started playing the the, uh, the trailers I think they only showed like two trailers uh, the first one wasn't exactly a selling point but the second one sold me immediately um, yeah no I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed it I gotta say I really 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 enjoyed it um, I haven't seen. Right. What am I thinking of? Right. So yeah. So that's that's the tomorrow war. Uh, tomorrow war. It's uh, it's worth a watch on uh, on Amazon Prime if you are a fan of sci-fi action films such as Starship Troopers, Battle Los Angeles, or even games like Call of Duty: Advanced Warfare and Black Ops Two. It's it takes certain elements that are in those games and puts them on screen. Uh, it's a bit like Edge of Tomorrow, but not as time traveling I've seen it compared to Edge of Tomorrow and Tenet for some reason I don't know why it's been compared to Tenet Um, Tenet I thought was was utter gobbledygook Uh, it looked nice it was shot in IMAX but Tenet just I don't know why Christopher Nolan tries to make out that he's smarter than everyone else um like i love inception i think inception is a fantastic film and it's quite fairly easy i say it's fairly easy to to follow it's i i look at each dream state as a as a different game level if you would but tenet i just thought was pretentious and while it was well made it made barely any sense and i don't think that the the idea of um sort of like the alternate reality backwards world made much sense if I'm being honest but that's just my that's just my opinion on 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 the film the same as this is just my opinion on the tomorrow war uh I enjoyed the tomorrow war I didn't really enjoy tenet that's 
basically all I can say. But don't go into watching the Tomorrow War from reading all the uh, all the the bad the bad reviews. Just watch it with an open mind. If you don't enjoy it, you don't enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, then join the club. But don't don't compare it to um, to Tenet. Because they are vastly different films. Same as uh, Edge of Tomorrow. It's 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 a different movie. It's just because it's a sci-fi alien invasion movie. It just doesn't doesn't really it doesn't really gel. But the Tomorrow War is is a good rainy day, nothing to watch in the afternoon uh, action sci-fi movie. Uh, would have been better if it was R-rated, but it wasn't. It was a PG-13 or a 12 in the UK. But, um, yeah, Tomorrow War. Uh, I would give the Tomorrow War, if I was going to rate it, uh, four out of five. Because it's the type of movie I like. I know a lot of people would say it's a two out of five, it's a three out of five. I'd say it was a four out of five. It loses, loses a point because I think it could have been about 10 minutes shorter maybe uh, and should have used uh, Betty, Kil- Betty Gilpin and J.K. Simmons a bit more but yeah um, The Tomorrow War is out now on Amazon Prime uh, if you've got Amazon Prime check it out if you haven't then I'm sure it's going to come out on Blu-ray at some point then you can pick it up then or if it's on uh, well it's not going to go to Netflix because it's, it's an Amazon Prime original but I'm sure it'll come out on Blu-ray if not It'll go down in price and it'll stay on. Uh, it'll stay on Amazon Prime anyway. But yeah, check it out. I mean, I've read that like 2.4 million US households watched it. Uh, well, I think it was in the first week or the first weekend of its release, which isn't too bad. Isn't too bad at all. So that's the tomorrow. That's what I recently watched. One of the big films I recently watched. Um, I will be watching. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong um, I have that at the moment and I will probably be watching that tonight um, which I'll probably um, I think I might give my thoughts on that next episode but for the time being um, yeah, the Tomorrow War is the big one and I just re-watched uh, Quentin Tarantino was the last film which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, watch that that's the third that's my third viewing and uh yeah we'll talk about that now i think so here we go with once upon a time in hollywood uh once upon a time in hollywood the ninth film by quentin tarantino I think Kill Bill is uh, classed as one film, even though it's Volumes 1 and Volume 2. But this is the ninth film by Tarantino. It is a love letter to 1960s Los Angeles and Hollywood in general. Um, follows the tale of a TV Western actor um, Rick Dalton as he finds that he's kind of becoming... Um, sort of, I don't know, has been actor, I guess. Uh, his show, um, Bounty Law gets cancelled, and he goes basically from uh, 
show to show playing a heavy. Uh, there's a bit at the beginning where uh, he's talking to an agent by the uh, played by um, Al Pacino, and Al Pacino basically explains to him that um, people are are watching these shows. They're not seeing Rick Dalton. They're seeing the character that he played on uh, Bounty Law being beaten up by these new people, even though. On Bounty Law, his character of Jake Cahill was like the big guy. He was the he was the lead. He was the he was the the man. But now he's he's basically playing the heavies in all these TV shows. Like there's a big focus on uh, his guest appearance on an episode of Lancer, uh, which which would be starring um, Timothy Oliphant as. I can't remember the name of the character, uh, the name of the actor who he plays in it. Uh, but obviously, I was born in 83. I don't know these uh, these TV Western shows like Raw Hide and stuff. I only know, I've heard of them and, uh, and stuff like that, but I, I wouldn't know all the actors and stuff in these TV shows. But um, there's a very good uh, segment of the film. I mean, the film plays... In a sort of pulp fictiony way, even though it's more linear um than zigzagging all over the shop um where he he's on this show, and the director uh Sam Wanamaker, the famous uh director Sam Wanamaker um wants to make him look more hippieish and he absolutely despises Rick Dalton absolutely despises hippies, but they give him this mustache and long hair and and this frilly jacket and stuff, but he gives, he gives like a master class in acting on this television show from the nineteen sixties, this western TV show. Um, he does a, this this bit where he he throws a little girl, brilliantly played by this little actress by the name of Julia Butters. Uh, he throws this little girl on the floor, um, just improvised, completely improvised, and it's like. You don't see that acting in those TV shows. You don't see like Leonardo DiCaprio caliber acting on these nineteen sixties TV shows. I mean, Rawhide birthed um, Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood basically played TV cowboy until maybe I don't know, maybe oh, I guess. High Plains Drifter, where he directed the the, the first film he directed, because he doesn't really do a lot. He doesn't do a lot of like, I don't know, emotive acting in um, the Dollar Trilogy, or Hang 'Em High. But in, I guess in High Plains Drifter, he kind of sheds that rawhide esque sort of TV cowboy image. Now, I love Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's my favourite actor of all time. But it's easy to see where Rawhide Clint ended and, like, modern Clint began. Because I love, I love the Dollars trilogy. Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more, good, the bad, and the ugly. I love those movies. But... It is he is very TV cowboy in that. Um I guess there's not like I said, there's not a lot of emotive acting, there's more grimaces and uh, chewing chewing the stogie 
and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't get these. Uh, I'm not. It's really difficult to put into words what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, so you're gonna go back to old school westerns. Like, I'm talking James Stewart. I'm James Garner. Uh, this is pre spaghetti westerns. This is like pre Once Upon a Time in America and the the Great Silence and stuff like that. Uh, these quite wild, like well known, well known uh, spaghetti westerns like Sabata or um, uh, Death Rides a Horse. Before this, I'm talking like Springfield Rifle, High Noon uh, with Gary Cooper, um, like Rio Bravo, Rio Lobo. No, that that was seventies. That was Rio Lobo, uh, but like Rio Bravo and like the old. John Wayne style. Don't get me wrong. I have I have Western genre is one of my favorite genres of all time. Uh, I grew up watching Springfield Rifle and and stuff like that. But these kind of Western anti heroes, um, are very TV. If you know what I mean, TV safe. Apart from I, I guess the Searchers. Uh, John Wayne in the searches is just a horrible individual. He's a racist. He's a he's like a misogynist. He's he's a violent man. Like, which from what I gather, I'm not. This is not me saying, but apparently this is very much how he was in real life. I don't know. I can't say. The man's been dead since the seventies. But if you get what I mean, I mean this is the kind of these are the. The, the westerns that came out in the 1950s and 1960s i'm not talking about the 1940s i'm talking about 1950s 1960s before spaghetti westerns decided to uh to take hold and um and i'm not saying every spaghetti western is fantastic because they certainly certainly are not um there's a lot of crap but there's a there was a point i guess they call it the revisionist western i believe but there's a point where like old Hollywood Western became new Italian Western where like the style of the Italian Western bled into Hollywood. So I'd say you get these old classics, Magnificent Seven, um, like I said, Springfield Rifle, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, uh, the Sons of Katie Elder, these these classic Hollywood Westerns, they were always sort of like cheap, not cheap, but they were also also like cheerful, if you know what I mean. Like the Sons of Katie Elder starred Dean Martin, for crying out loud, like Dean Rat Pack Martin. And they had this very obvious Hollywood sheen to it. But then you get A Fistful of Dollars, which is just a dirty sort of like grimy looking dusty western where like there's not a single redeeming character in any of these westerns and that bled from italian like spaghetti westerns into uh into the hollywood western i guess when uh clint i this is from my my point of view my how I see it, um, when Clint Eastwood made um, High Plains Drifter. High Plains Drifter 
uh, it took the Western from being, I guess, a family affair, a family-friendly uh, movie sort of, a family-friendly genre, to being this dark, grim kind of anti-Western. And it's it's just it's it's interesting to to see uh, a change in a filming format or film, filming style uh, and i don't think italy gets uh, enough credit for what they brought to the the genre i mean there's a i am not an italian movie uh, expert i i've seen a few i've got i've got a couple of blu-ray boxes i've got the complete sartana collection um but i'm i, I can't say that i'm i'm like the king of Italian uh, exploitation and westerns and stuff like that. I know people who who are like up there as like encyclopedia uh, of Italian movies and a lot of Italian. The whole point of spaghetti westerns was a knockoff of Hollywood westerns, but they made them more violent and more grimy and more dirty. Uh, like I said, it became the the sort of anti Hollywood western, not an anti western, but the anti Hollywood western. Um, but going back to Once Upon a Time in uh, in Hollywood, Rick Dalton's character is that sort of James Stewart of the... I'm not saying he's the same level as James Stewart, but that's who I think of when I think of like TV westerns of the 1960s, like TV Hollywood westerns of the 1960s. He's that kind of... that kind of character. Um... And he's 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 approached by Al Pacino, and Al Pacino says, "Go to Italy and make westerns," but Rick Dalton wants to get away from westerns and become a like a a legitimate like a legitimate film star. He wants a film career. He says this in the film. His show got cancelled because he wanted to be a film star, but there's no films that are hiring him, so he's doing these spots these guest spots on other people's shows where he's playing the heavy and he's getting just he's getting beaten by the by the star of that show whereas once upon a time he was the guy who was beating the villains and it, it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting way of looking at how uh, actors fall from grace um it's the same as now i mean you see some actors uh, who who won oscars uh, but now make trash. So I know it's unfair to single out uh, these specific actors, but Cuba Gooden Jr. won an Oscar for um, Jerry Maguire. And now he makes direct-to-DVD action movies. Uh, every now and then he'll show up in uh, a role where he'll be acclaimed, like he did in the... Um, I think it was the... the the O.J. Simpson trial miniseries, which was fantastic, by the way. He was great in it. Um, same with Halle Berry. Halle Berry won an Oscar. And I'm not singling them out because they're black actors, actors and actresses. I'm singling them out because these are um, actors who have won critical acclaim and Oscars and now make movies that you wouldn't expect someone of their acting caliber or Oscar-winning actors to do. So... Like, so Cuba Gooding Jr. He won an Oscar for Jerry Maguire, and then he started making director DVD action movies, like really low budget trash action movies. 
uh, Halle Berry makes, she won an Oscar for Monsters Ball, and now she just makes really mediocre, low budget, um, well, not low budget, but mid budget, I'd say, uh, like thrillers. Nothing spectacular, nothing that you can say Halle Berry was great now, apart from maybe she was really, really good in uh, uh, John Wick 3. Um, and another actor who's probably the most obvious choice of, well, two of the actors who are probably the most obvious examples of this happening is um, Nicolas Cage won an Oscar. I think it was for Leaving Las Vegas or maybe Adaptation. I can't remember which one it was. And he, um, infamously, he is now just making utter garbage movies. With every now and then, there's a there's a good one that comes out like Mandy or like Joe, or um, uh, what was the other one he made that was quite good, Mum and Dad. But I think he he takes the he embraces the the insane side of um, fame, I guess, which is why he does a lot of overacting. Um, and I can understand Nicholas Nicholas Cage doing that. I mean, he, there was a lot of thing about there was a huge thing about his back taxes or something like that i can't remember he owned a a, a dinosaur a t-rex skull or so i can't i'm not 100 percent sure of the um the details behind it but apparently the reason he made a lot of shit films was to pay off um a, a outstanding tax debt i think i'm not sure this is just what i remember reading from years ago but now, the other example is Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is an actor who starred in the greatest action film of all time, which is Die Hard. He then starred in countless other great movies. He was a huge, 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 huge action star. He went from Die Hard to Last Boy Scout to, okay, we won't count Hudson Hawk because even though I love Hudson Hawk, it's not. Like it's not generally considered a great film. Um and then like Last Boy Scout, uh Last Man Standing, Pulp Fiction, like huge movies, like huge, huge movies. Die uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Die Hard Two. These are big movies. But then it it got to a point there was some some point where he just started to not give a crap. And I think the for me, the best example or the earliest example of him not giving a crap about acting anymore is probably either Red 2 or A Good Day to Die Hard. In A Good Day to Die Hard, uh, he clearly does not want to be there. He clearly is just phoning it in. And uh, he just does not seem to be interested in the film at all. But then since A Good Day to Die Hard, and I'm not counting Die Hard, uh, Live Free or Die Hard, Die Hard 4.0 or whatever they call it in the UK, um, because uh, there are there are moments in that film where Bruce comes out, like Bruce that we know comes out. Um. This is going so far from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I can't believe. Uh, Bruce just goes so far out. Like, it's... You see what it used to be like. 
Like, if you watch Last Boy Scout now, and you see his performance as Joe Hallenbeck, and then you see, uh, I don't know, maybe, I want to say some of the later movies that he's made. I haven't watched a lot of, uh, I haven't watched many of the, the newer Bruce Willis movies. Okay, so Death Wish, right. So, I have seen Death Wish, the Eli Roth remake. Which, um, it's okay. It's not great. It's all right. Um, right, so you watch Hallenbeck in 1991, 92, when Last Boy Scout came out. Uh, and then you watch his performance as um, Kersey in Paul Kersey in Eli Roth's remake of Death Wish. Um, and I know there's at least 25 years between each film. But you can see in Last Boy Scout that there is a man acting in that film who enjoys being an actor there's he's relishing being an actor the the dialogue that uh Shane Black wrote just zings off his tongue because it's written in a way where the laid back kind of like the laid back laconic style that Bruce had in Die Hard and like the everyman type of dialogue that he has as Joe Hallenbach it's just it's it's John McClane it's John McClane like the one line is John McClane but then you watch Death Wish and it's like you turned up on set one day and went just shoot the fucking movie just just I'll do it just shoot it nah. it's like well Bruce, if you weren't so hard to work with, and I also think, I got, I got a feeling actually, Cop Out was the moment that ruined his career because he was such a pain in the ass to work with on Cop Out that Kevin Smith, who, let's face it, Kevin Smith has only made three good movies in his entire career. Four good movies in entire his entire career. Which is Clerks, Mallrats, Chase and Amy, and Dogma. They're great movies. Those four movies are absolutely fantastic. Even though, like, I love James Bond and Bob, and I love, um, oh, James Bond and Bob Strike Back, and Clerks too. I think are great movies. But when you put them, those films up against, uh, Clerks, More Rats, Chasing Amy, and Dogma, then like, nothing else compares. But you see, uh, he made Cop Out, and apparently he was so difficult to work with that. Kevin Smith called him out and said he was one of the single worst people he ever worked with. Which I can completely understand where he's coming from. Um, because the reason he got fired from... Um, well, I say he got fired, but he was asked... He wasn't asked to reprise the role of uh, Mr... Whatever the fuck his name is in the Expendables 3 is because he wanted something like $4 million for like two days' work. And Stallone was just like, you're having a laugh, Bruce. Not a chance, mate. And then who did they get to replace? Oh, Mr. Church, that's his name. Who did they get to replace Bruce Willis in Expendables 3? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Indiana Jones. Han Solo. They got Harrison Ford to replace Bruce Willis because Bruce Willis wanted too much money. That's that. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. That is absolutely insane. I. It, it's, it's crazy. How can you be so big headed? 
that you demand four million dollars. I think it was four million dollars. It might be even more for two days work. Get turned down and replaced by fucking Han Solo. Like it's Harrison Ford. It's that's that blows my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. It's it's insane. But as I was talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, see, I've lost my train of thought now because I went off on a ramble. So, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's great. What am I talking about? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's great. I'm not going to go through that. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a great Tarantino film. It's not his best film. I'm not even going to finish talking about this film because I'm going to carry on talking about how fucked up Bruce Willis is. Um, uh, what would I give? Uh, all right, yeah, five out of no, four out of five for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, right, back to Bruce Willis being an absolute asshole. Um, like the movies he's made since 2009, I think it is. 2009, 2010 or something. He's made like 20 movies. And every single movie has got like a 32 red um, Metacritic score on IMDb. And it's usually like between 3 and 4.5 stars out of 10. Because he's he's just... No one else will work with him. So he I don't know if he's, if he's taking like major pay cuts or something but like every film he's made has been shit every movie every film he makes seems to be made by grindstone entertainment as well i mean grindstone then i'm not saying they're a terrible production company but they're not a great production company they've made a couple of decent films um when i can think of them i think bruce was in it as well was called the prince which was a jason patrick movie and uh, it was kind of like taken light, I guess. But um, that was an okay film. Um, what else did he make? What else have Grindstone made? Um, another another weird one is that Robert De Niro has been showing up. I can understand why Robert De Niro did these because apparently his ex-wife uh, demanded like a huge payout from their divorce or something. And uh, he has to pay her like... Something like I I can't remember like two million a month or some stupid reason for that, um. So he's taking these these smaller movies, but then he'll show up. He'll do a movie like the fucking Irishman, which is this huge three and a half hour long, um. Uh, it's like a, a this massive three and a half hour long Martin Scorsese gangster epic, which was Robert De Niro. Al Pacino, Stephen Graham, just a fantastic cast. It was a great movie. It was um, well, Joe Pesci, sorry. Yeah, it was a great movie. It was a bit too long, I thought, uh, but it was still fantastic. And I haven't got a problem with long movies, but I just thought there were moments in The Irishman where it was quite short, uh, quite quite slow, and could have been chopped down a little bit. But The Irishman is a fantastic film, regardless. But then, like, that's what I quite like about De Niro doing this. De Niro will do, um films that have got a budget of about £4.50 and he probably takes most of that himself um, 
And then he'll do this Martin Scorsese movie. Or he'll do a shit movie. And then he'll do... Uh, what's the other one he did? Um, Silver Linings Playbook. Where he'll just show up. I mean, there's a film he made with um, John Cusack called The Bagman. Now, it got horrible reviews when it came out. It was actually a pretty decent like little crime thriller. And that was made by Grindstone as well. But Bruce, for some reason... We'll just he'll just play a random cop. He'll play a cop who he'll have like ten minutes screen time, and like he probably gets paid more for those ten minutes for just showing up and going okay, just shoot it, and I'll say the lines. Than the the fucking sound man, well the production manager, or I say the sound man will probably get more less than that anyway. But like he probably takes half the budget. That's why these movies are so shit. Like he just recently made a film called Cosmic Sin, and I think there was another another one that came out around the same time, another sci-fi one. Now, Bruce Willis making sci-fi. When you think of Bruce and you think of sci-fi, you think of the Fifth Element, and the Fifth Element is is incredible. It's probably out of all of Luc Besson's movies, uh, it's his most ambitious. Even though um, Leon is probably my favorite Luc Besson film. Uh, as a director, and uh, Valerian is pretty good. I quite like Valerian and the city, or well, the planet, the city of the city in the planet, the planet in the cities, or whatever it's called. I can't remember, uh, but it's quite a fun movie, Valerian. But there's something about the Fifth Element that is so fucking bonkers and so out there <clears throat> and so like in your face that the whole thing works well. And that was Bruce in his prime. That was like 1997 Bruce. This was before Armageddon and before um, he just just gave up on life. And like this is the thing. I don't hate Bruce Willis. I don't hate him. I think Bruce is just a guy who's fallen out of love with acting. And I think he's he's an actor who who thinks he's he's he deserves more even though he doesn't. Now if you look at Bruce's movies, okay, so like going from Die Hard. So like I don't know, let's have a look. Let's let's go through his filmography quickly. Well, let's choice filmography. So you've got, like, Blind Date was the first movie he made. Now, he made that while he was making Moonlighting. Um, and then Die Hard in 1988. Die Hard. Die Hard is, like, the film. It's it's the most recognisable action movie of all time. And you can talk about Rambo. You can talk about Commando and stuff. But when you talk to people about Die Hard, people are like, fucking Die Hard, man. Die Hard's amazing. Die Hard. John McClane. Alan Rickman, uh, just the one-liners, hey, welcome to the party, pal, all that shit. Die Hard is just incredible. It's 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 a brilliant action movie. It's like a masterclass in action movie making. Um, <coughs> they gave us the everyday, well, the everyman action hero, uh, which was Bruce. Bruce was their everyman action hero. So then he makes Die Hard 2, where it's... It's not as good as the first one. We'll we'll say that. But again, like it's directed by 
a man it's directed by a man who who kind of went the same way as Bruce, I guess, Rennie Harlan. Uh Rennie Harlan made some great movies. He made Die Hard 2. He made Prison with Viggo Mortensen. He made uh one of my favourite action movies, which is The Long Kiss Goodnight, which has got um Gina Davis and uh, Sam Jackson in it, and that is based on uh well, it was written by Shane Black again. Um but he's made some questionable movies since. I think one of the worst films he made was a film with Dolph Lundgren and no, not Dolph Lundgren, Johnny Knoxville and Jackie Chan called Skip Trace, which is shocking. Um, but yeah, so Die Hard 2. Die Hard 2 comes out and again, it's John McClane. It's bang, 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 John McClane. Uh, he says uh, there's, a, there's a line in Die Hard 2 where he says, how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Which is such an incredibly good line. But then the same shit happens to the same guy a third and a fourth and a fifth time. And I'm not saying anything's, there's anything wrong with uh, having five movies in a film franchise. God knows there's 23 Bond movies. I think 23 Bond movies. There's nine Fast and the Furious movies. And there's nine Star Wars movies. There's nothing wrong with having a franchise. But it's when the quality of the franchise takes a noticeable nosedive uh, that you start to think, like, why make it if you're not going to... Why make a film if you know that the material is crap? So, let's see. So, Die Hard 2. And then The Last Boy Scout. Another Shane Black script. Last Boy Scout. Joe Hallenbach, former Secret Service agent, fired for um, punching... I think he was punched. I think he punched a senator uh, or beat up a senator for um, trying to prevent uh, him sexually assaulting someone. Um, he's, then, he's now a, like a washed-up alcoholic... Uh, private detective he's hired to uh, find someone I think um, he teams up with uh, Damon Wayans who apparently is a massive arsehole uh, Damon Wayans' character um, and there's violence and there's guns and there's car chases and there's one-liners and there's Bruce Willis punching Kim Coates in the face multiple times in it. Uh, it it's just it's great it's a fucking brilliant movie I wrote Myself, I wrote a uh, a pilot episode for a television show called um, These Violent Delights, and I based the main character on Joe Hallenbach because I think it's just one of the best written characters Bruce has ever done. Um, so then we got, right, so you've got Last Boy Scout, you've got Hudson Hawk, which, again, like I said, I loved Hudson Hawk, but it was a massive critical failure. Um, Last Boy, The Last Man Standing, the Walter Hill remake of uh, Fistful of Dollars. Um which was set in 1920s Prohibition Chicago or Las Vegas. I can't remember. It's about out in a desert, in a desert western town. It's kind of like a modern 1920s western, I guess. But it's a great, great action film. And then you've got, what have we got? we got Die Hard with a Vengeance. Now, Die Hard with a Vengeance is my second favourite Die Hard movie because John McTiernan came back and it's just fantastic. Brilliant villain. I mean, the villain in... Excuse me. Die Hard 2 is not great. It's not great. But. And that's nothing against William Sadler. Who played the, played the villain. Excuse me. Um, I just think he's an underwritten villain. 
But Simon Gruber in Die Hard with a Vengeance is such a brilliantly written uh, character. There's a lot of depth to him. The character is that he gives out this this kind of intense sort of I don't know how what is it? It's an intense kind of uh, facade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a point where Simon starts to stutter. And that's when John McClane discovers the weakness. And so he can get under his skin. And it's just a really, really, really well-written script. Really good written script. And McTiernan directed that film to the hilt. And it's, it's, it's fucking brilliant. And then, so what we got? We got 1990... Oh, let's talk about Pulp Fiction quickly. Uh, Butch, the boxer. <coughs> if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction then you have no business being a human. I'm not going to talk much about Pulp Fiction. It's, it's probably one of the best 90s movies ever made. Um, so then we've got, after Pulp Fiction, blah, 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 we got Last Boy Scout. Uh, what did I get to? Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, he did some other ones like Striking Distance, and um, I think there was one or two other lower-end action movies that he did in the 90s. Say lower-end action movies. Like, I like Striking Distance. I think Striking Distance is... It's a good action film. Uh, it's directed by Rowdy Harrington, who did um, Roadhouse and made a really great kind of low-budget James Spader movie called The Stick-Up. Uh, I think he wrote and directed that. Um, yeah, that's a really good crime thriller. It's definitely worth watching. The, the Stick-Up, if you can find it. Uh, that's a James Spader film. Uh, and then you've got 1997, The Fifth Element, Basically tops off the 90s for, for Bruce. He follows that up with Michael Bay's Armageddon. It's Armageddon. Um, Tears of the Sun followed. Uh, what else is there? And like I don't know. There's, there's nothing from the 2000s that really stands out as, as like prime Bruce movies. There's the whole nine yards, the whole ten yards. Um, but I think the last great movie where you can see that Bruce actually believes in the material is probably Looper. The Ryan Johnson film, Looper, with uh, Bruce and... um, What's his name? The one from Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That seems to be like the last time Bruce gave a shit. But the best, most standout film of the 2000s for me is 16 Blocks. Which, sadly enough, which I was saying at the beginning, was the uh, last film directed by Richard uh, Donner in 2008. Um, but for me, like when you look at Die Hard 4.0, or Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, like it's, it's, a, it's a very well-made film directed. Len Wiseman did a great job. The villain... Timothy Oliphant, not that great. But when you watch 16 Blocks, 16 Blocks comes across more like a diehard film than it has any right to be, if you know what I mean. It's a self-contained, gotta-get-from-A-to-B thriller. And Bruce is playing a washed-up police detective... It's very John McClane. Uh, he's got to transport a prisoner from one end of Manhattan to the other to the courthouse at the other end of Manhattan, 
uh, while there's assassins and corrupt police after him. And it's absolutely brilliant. And I think it's one of the best Die Hard sequels that isn't a Die Hard movie. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up very soon because I've had enough of ranting about Bruce Willis. So when you really when you you look at Willis's filmography, um, as uh, a, an action hero, because I mean he made Bonfire of the Vanities, he was in, um, oh what was the other one, Sun Sunset I think it was called, um, and he made Death Becomes Death Becomes it was a great comedy by the way, he made Death Becomes a um, look who's talking look who's talking now. <clears throat> When you really look at Bruce's filmography from the late eighties until the uh, like mid two thousands, the man was like he was primarily an action star, and he's still making action movies now. But he's making action movies because they pay, and he doesn't give a shit about the material. I mean, if you watch the roast, the roast of Bruce Willis, Demi Moore says that his movies suck, and he knows that they suck, which is why he has this kind of awkward smile and laugh and it's very sad because the man brought so much entertainment with so many action movies and it's sad to see an actor of his kind of <coughs> excuse me his kind of legacy just lounging in shitty straight to dvd movies so there we are. What started off as um, me reviewing the latest movies I've seen has ended up me talking for 40 minutes about Bruce Willis's career. Um, this is quite informal. Not informal. I quite like doing this. Is, well, this is what I like about doing these podcasts. And this is what I did in the last podcast. Is that, Well, the last uh, show that I used to do, which was called The Sinner Podcast, um, was that I used to just ramble. I used to talk incessantly for like an hour, hour and a half, just about random shit. And I did like ten episodes of that before I, I just felt the editing process was so, so difficult to just continually do. But using Anchor, I've just sat here. It's recorded this now. I'm on forty minutes uh, of this segment. And I'm going to wrap it up in a sec. But this is all going to be... I don't really need to edit anything here. This is just me rambling for an hour. So if you want to listen to me ramble like this, give you a lot of information. Like, let's talk about this. We Tonight, what will we cover? We've covered, we've covered The Tomorrow War. We've covered about five and a half seconds of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, we, which I then went into some tangent about... Uh, old Hollywood Westerns versus spaghetti Westerns and actors like Clint and, and stuff like that to uh, me basically giving an overview of Bruce Willis's career. See, none of this was planned. I wrote four and a half pages of notes about Richard Donner um, for the show that I was originally going to do. And when I did it, when I recorded it, it just sounded so scripted. And this is what I like about doing off-the-cuff, nonsensical... Well, I say nonsensical. It's not sens nonsensical. It makes sense. Off-the-cuff rants about movies, which is what I do 
on a daily basis to people in work or to my friends and stuff like that. I will go off on one. And that is exactly what I did. So if you want to hear me go off on one again about another actor or filmmaker or series of films or whatever, then drop me a message. Drop me... Uh, you can message me on Facebook. You can message me on... Uh, on um, Anchor. Just send me send me your questions or or your recommendations or what you'd like to hear me talk about or i say talk about absolutely go off on one on but i hope you learned a little bit tonight because i love this shit i live for this shit like this is 45 minutes this is nearly an hour of me just talking about the shitty career that Bruce Willis now has. It's insane. I absolutely love doing this. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to get back into it. So I'm going to I'm going to do an outro now and uh call it a night because my throat has gone really dry. I've smoked about 3 cigarettes all night and drunk half a can of Pepsi Max. And my voice is going to get really hoarse in a minute. But, um, yeah, thanks for listening. And I... This has been episode one of Pedro's Movie Cavern. The only reason it's called Pedro's Movie Cavern is because that's what my YouTube channel is called. It's because it's my Google sign-in and it just automatically came up and I thought, eh, hey, fuck it, might as well use it. Because my old one used to be uh, the Cine Podcast which was linked to my website, which is called cinepocalypse.com. Well, it's not called cinepocalypse. It was. Now it's called cinepocalypse.blogspot.com, which is now basically dead. I haven't done anything on it for ages, but I've been doing that for 10 years. Um, there's about 500 reviews on there. You're more than welcome to go and check it out, but whatever. I hope you enjoy listening to this. Um, I, Like I said, I fucking love doing this. I love just talking about movies. It's something I've, it's movies of my life, literally. I know it sounds pathetic, but I grew up watching movies. I spent my teens collecting VHS. I spent my 20s collecting DVDs. And I spent my 30s collecting Blu-rays. And I've got about seven, 8,000 movies to watch. That is why I love movies. It's because I can just talk about them non-stop. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this first episode of Pedro's Movie Cabin. And I, I'm going to try and do this every Sunday night to get it ready for every Monday. And I hope to God that you enjoyed listening to this, if anybody did listen to this. Because, uh, like I said, I absolutely love doing this. But anyway, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Well, there we go. That was episode one of Pedro's Movie Cabin. I went a little bit in a different direction than I originally hoped. But that's the uh, that's the problem with the off-the-cuff sort of rambling, I guess. But... Uh, that was episode one 
hope you'll tune into episode two uh, next week, where there'll be more me talking utter nonsense about stuff. Uh, so thank you for listening, and see you all soon.